I'm not even sharing, am I? No. No. You're grooving you're grooving out. <laughs> I'm grooving to myself. You're grooving out yeah. and no one can hear anything, mate. We're waiting for you. Th thanks for telling me, guys. All right. Well, I thought it was a track. I thought it was doing like a Philip Glass thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was just enjoying watching you. Thank you. <laughs> Take two. Let's have another go. Gorgeous. Bye, mate. All right, welcome guys to another episode of Music, Movies and Madness. My name's David, I'm your host for tonight. I'm joined by Ian, Ian and Martin. Hey fellas. Good, good evening. Hi. Hi Dave. How's Hi, it going? Long weekend? It's going hip, man. It's going hip. You've yep. been busy, been all good. I see. You're doing some gigs around town. Did you go out to Stratford? Yeah. Yes, I went to Strat Stratty Vegas. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Stratty Vegas actually uh, had a really good gig. It was good, man. It was one of those things where they, they advertised me as a rock, a rock artist, and I was there with my acoustic guitar. Nice. <laughs> in your tambourine. What was, yeah. the, um, what was the event? Uh, it was just a Sunday. It, it was a Sunday chill sesh. Where I was supposed to play rock music for a whole lot of bikers with my acoustic guitar. It's only ever happened to me once before in my career. That was in Spain when they advertised me as a Tom Jones tribute. <laughs> <laughs> it's not unusual. <laughs> it's not unusual. Oh, Delilah. Oh, Delilah. That's terrible. Yeah, so that was my weekend. How oh, about you guys? Gosh. Martin, can you do better than that? No. Um, <laughs> oh, lucky, lucky you. No, I don't think I've ever been misbilled at a gig. Um, I've done, I've done some weird gigs, sort of like. Um, seems to be a thing in Scotland where like all of the stages are around about six foot by like three foot, and when you're feeling like a five-piece blues band on one of those, yeah. something has to give, and. Uh, Usually it's the keyboard player. <laughs> I found that over time. Well, um, so I, 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 I played a gig once behind a pillar on stage. It was oh, a yeah. pillar, pillar on stage. I, and I was actually saying. behind the pillar. Yeah. So like, I could have just, you know, put a backing track on and just buggered off and had a pint, but <laughs> no one probably would have known. But, you know, it, it goes like that sometimes. Yeah. I've done a gig off the stage as well. Like one of those like session guys that like, you know, like when there's a rock band playing and stuff, and like you have the keyboardist off state, off round the back. <laughs> I've done one of those before oh, as well, which are horrible. What? <laughs> they put the keyboardist out the back. Yeah. 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 That's, that's where they belong. Out the back. Oh, nice. <laughs> Long live oh the guitar. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, so is there. Well, that, too much ego on stage, you see. Mm -hmm. So, when the lead anymore. singer's doing the intro to all the band you know front on lead guitar glenn on on the bass guitar martin so not uh, appearing on this movie. <laughs> he bought us in the basement martin yeah oh no you might have seen him last week oh no he was behind a pillar yeah but maybe the week before <laughs> we'll eventually make it to the stage oh that's terrible <laughs> that's shocking glenn how was your weekend mate yes sweet as 
family time most of the way, mm-hmm. um, but managed to meet up with David and do some listening at our mate Robert's house, which was good. All right, fellas. So 1975, how'd you find it? Hell, 75, um, I thought it was 79. No, it's five. It so. At least you're in the right decade. <laughs> Joking. How did, how did, how did, how did we find the year? How did we find the year? Um, it was quite a remember. Um, not much to remember apart from, you know, conception, I suppose. <laughs> okay, for the listeners out there, um, Glenn's referring to the fact that um, I'm the only one that was actually alive out of the womb in mm. uh, 1975. <laughs> the other three are, are somewhat younger than myself and uh, only in, in age. I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm much younger. Than, than you look the youngest. Yeah, true. Immature. Do you exfoliate? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't for the grey hair, my wife reckons I'd look probably thirty-five. Instead, I look eighty-five. That's no, her words, don't. not mine. She's like, oh, oh, you're grey So seventy-five. Um, okay. The other thing, um, cards on the table, listeners. This is somewhat of a repeat because our pilot really? episode. Yeah. Well, it was never broadcast. If that's what mm. all these things, We'd, it was our pilot, wasn't it, fellas? Our first go. Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was, and I listened to it last night. Oh, did you? Yeah, it exists, and it was shit. Was it? <laughs> it was, sounded was, like shit. Well, things never change. No, no, no. <laughs> it really did sound like shit, Martin. <laughs> From I, me, especially because of the, I must have been using the computer mic or something. I sounded. Like I was on another planet, um, not just me using the old, the old yeah. cup and string. Oh, it sounded awful, but and right. and really, I listened to my review of the movie, and yeah, thought, yeah, I could probably do better than that now. Slightly, <laughs> slightly. <laughs> oh, I didn't even read off Wikipedia. I was like, surely I would have read off Wikipedia. No, I just <clears> sort of recounted what I thought of the movie, and that was it. And I was like, no facts, nothing useful. You're an expert now, mate. Totally, man. I'm just sitting. I, I, yeah, I, I'd like to hope that um, I've prepared better, but I don't think I have. Um, but hopefully, we'll get round to our albums this time because we never mm. made it into the last one. Mm. Oh no, that's right. Okay, so um, seventy-five. What happened in seventy-five, guys? Big oh, events. No idea. Tell us. David, David had his birthday in the week coming up. I, I had my birthday in October. I'll tell you what did happen. Um, Maggie Maggie Thatcher got voted uh, to lead the uh, Conservative Party, first female um, to lead that party, and of course she went on to wreck the UK. Was it seventy <laughs> five? She got in. God, well, she what? got it. She she was she was um, elected leader leader of the opposition. Mm. Uh, so she wasn't prime minister for. A wee while yet, but and, and uh, I think if I recall, she lasted more than forty-seven or forty-eight days. She did, yes, she did. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, it's because people didn't I know really any better. Do. They've obviously learnt since then. But um, what else happened? She a stole bit? No, our more... milk. Uh, she what? She stole our milk. Oh, what happened? Um, she stopped. It used to be a thing in the UK that um, if you're at like uh, a nursery school, like you know preschool, kindergarten type thing, yeah. you got a bottle of milk. Every kid got a bottle of milk, and she stole that away from them. Mm. Which is why everyone in the UK has rickets now. 
Are you sure? <laughs> I remember those days getting a carton of milk. Yeah. Or a bottle of milk, I think it was. Was yeah. it was it from your place or did you flog it from the neighbours? At school. No, it was at school. Oh, no, school. Get it at school. Because yeah. I remember yeah. the milk tokens would go missing sometimes. Do you remember those? Uh-huh. You didn't put uh, yeah, you used tokens on the taped to the top of the milk bottle sort of thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I've nicked a few of those in my time. <laughs> the Vietnam War ends, fellas. Well, supposedly. Probably went on and on and on. Mm. But officially it ended in 75. Five, yeah. Uh, what a wreck that was. And you'd what? think the United States would learn to get in, not to get involved in land wars in Asia. But hey, you know, they have another go. And guess what? Another shambolic evacuation just last year pathetic mm. pathetic don't get him started let's not let's not let's let's move You're on going down a rabbit hole let's move on. i am i am sorry uh so music and movies 75 mm. what do you fellas reckon about the music what was happening what was big in the music world in 75 wasn't disco starting Ever starting to, to know. Uh, yeah, feature. they were around. I think I just started to kind of do their Eurovision kind of bit. Had the Bee Gees, Bee Gees converted, converted from their, you know, up to the up about five octaves. <laughs> I was, um, I did kind of have a look around this week at some different albums because I, I thought, now do I do the same album as I did in the pilot episode, or do I to try and be bold and do something different? And I thought, mm. no, so I'll stick with the one I did before. But I did listen to um, a, quite a bit. I was really tempted to go with an album, a band called Rufus. Do you know Rufus? Totally. With and Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan oh, on an album. A bit of Shaka Khan. Yeah. Well, Shaka Khan was the lead singer with Rufus. And um, man, it's some funky shit. It's really good. It's a good really album. Good. Are we sort of talking sort of near the end of the sort of the funk era and before it sort of moved into the disco era? Yeah, because they that, that band very much kind of transversed into it because when she kind of went solo, obviously she went like mm. disco and then oh, oh. came out of that and, and kept going in the 80s as well, you know. Did it have mm. that song in it? Tell me something good. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. wasn't on the oh, album that came out in 75 yeah. though but i really like that that track oh, did yeah. that yeah here with shaka khan and rufus they were the that bloody good music man mm. yeah almost can't can't believe i've never heard of rufus where you been well where she kind of yeah i mean that's what actually led to like the band kind of splitting up was that you know she became the name and was the one that everyone kind of wanted to see uh, right. um but the band were actually really really good musos really good players is that similar with with um, the Crusaders and um, what was she called? Street Life, where does oh, no Randy, left you? Randy, Randy Crawford. Crawford. Was yeah. it the same sort of thing with those guys? I, I guess so. I think it happened quite yeah. a lot of those bands, you know, because mm. all those divas were kind of starting to kind of appear and, you know, mm. Donna Summer and all of that stuff, I guess. Mm. The disco divas. Um. What have, I got that song in my head. What's it called? I will survive. Gloria Gaynor. Mm-hmm. That's a Beatles song originally. Did you know that? Did they write it? 
you got to be kidding Ringo. me. Ringo. Ringo. Ringo wrote that survive. one. Jesus. <laughs> Covered by Kate Bush, no doubt. Uh, so what, 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 and what were the Beatles and their wives doing in 75? Well, yeah, we covered John's, John's fucking write-off. Of uh, the, he's, still on a, he, yeah. he's, still, he's still on his holiday, is he? Last week. Whatever actually, they could get hold of. That's actually what ties in with my album <laughs> choice, Glenn. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I was looking up going, hang on. I've, I've read about this story before. Bowie, high on bloody, um, what was Coke. he on? He was on Lennon was, yeah, not far behind. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, not like, not looking forward to the drugs, but looking forward to the stories. Um. Okay. And movies. How did we go with movies this year, fellas? Uh this I've got a. You got a try. Yeah. Yeah, take film. Yeah, I think you got like the uh, top pick there, really. Oh <laughs> uh, no, that, that is truly brilliant. Ian, you're yeah. not looking. You're not looking like. It was an easy one. <clears throat> no, I um, I I got a I got a good one. I got a nice little movie, but um, yeah, I I do find those older movies. So yeah, I find them quite hard to watch. I'm I'm quite a hard movie pleaser because I'm I get agitated very quick. So I like shit that's got a lot of stuff going on quick, you know. So I find those slow movies quite hard. Yeah. I really have to sit down and seventy five. Most of those seventies movies are like that. They're quite slow, quite long. Found. Yeah, they make up. Some of them make up for it in their, um, in the storytelling and the suspense. I guess um, certainly the one I've chosen, and sort of follows another one that I did around about this era. It might have been seventy six. Taxi Driver. Remember that? Mm, mm, I do. Similar sort of dark comedy, psychological mess with yes. your head sort of stuff. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Those films were pretty gritty, and uh, mm. I guess the realism thing was starting to kind of come back in big way. Yeah, you know, coming out of out of Vietnam and all of that, it started a lot more kind of social commentary kind of going on in a lot of those movies. I wonder if the movie scene in the seventies, mid seventies, was probably starting to really go places as well. You know, like. Yeah, as as a thing, what people used to do. No, you know, totally, hundred percent. Um, Glenn's pick, um, is probably the turning point for that. It was the first considered the first mega, mega right movie blockbuster. Um, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. absolutely. Agreed. So, fellas, um, I did. Uh, I was going to try and pick a different album to what I um did at the uh, pilot. So I went through um mybirthdayhits.com. You know what? <laughs> You're no right. Okay, <laughs> listeners, listeners as well. Oh. If you haven't, you've got to go to mybirthdayhits.com, type in your birth date, and it tells you every single number one song on the anniversary of your birthday. What was so, number one? For oh you? mate, I was like, I've yeah, it's a good thing I didn't make a commitment to do this because I would have been reviewing Neil Sadaka. <laughs> um, wow. and and it doesn't get any better from there. Uh, the, my first birthday would have been Chicago, if you leave me now. Ugh, pretty by the bad. time I'm two, on my yeah. second birthday, you light up my life by Debbie Boone. Ugh. You light up my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't even go to my third birthday. It's terrible. Fourth is terrible. 
Oh, we've got Barbara Streisand for my fifth birthday, Woman in Love. That's the oh, that, that, oh, with Bee Gees. It's, yeah, it's with the, it's a Bee Gees song. Arthur's theme, that's actually quite good. Best that you can do. Sixth birthday. I'll fast forward, fellas. 13th birthday. And I, oh, Ian, you like this. 12th birthday, 87. What do you reckon was number one? 26 In October, 87. 87. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Rick, Come on, Rick You can't. You've got to get this, Ian. It's going to be that bloody woman, isn't it? Is it no, Kate Bush? No, no, no. Ah, Ian. Oh, well done. Clearly, you got was it. it bad in 87? Was it? I thought oh, it was 85 no. bad. Went to number one in the US on October 24th, 87 for two weeks. 80, was it really 87? Yep. Uh -huh. And it just turns oh, to shit after that. So, no, <laughs> 14th. Well, no, no, to be fair. Groovy kind of I love that, by Phil Collins. Let's be honest. Most of the time, the singles <laughs> chart is pretty horrible. Did you say October 24th? Uh, well, it went to today. number one. Yeah, that's today, right? Yeah, it went to number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most of the singles charts are generally awful when you look back. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, I mean, it's hard to look at them with any... Occasionally, there's a brilliant, brilliant song, but sometimes you get those awful ones that David talked about. They're oh, terrible. Mate. End of the road, boys to men. It was my seventeenth birthday. Oh, good lord! I actually really oh, like that song. It's not that bad. It's really? that's lasted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, don't no, know I why, but it. it's, okay, it's brilliant. I seem to remember the video. They were all dressed as like Mormons. They all had like <laughs> they probably <laughs> were all Mormons. The suit song yeah. with like the tie and like. Yeah, we did this. Oh, no. We did this. Gonna go around and knock on the door and sing that song. Next time they come around, I'll ask them if they can do boys and men for me. What if we talk to you about the Book of Soul? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. MyBirthdayHits.com. Check it out, guys. Check it out, listeners. Mm -hmm. um, I lucked out on it pretty shit like most years for me. But Rob, the other day, Glenn, he scored. A hat trick, a couple of hat tricks, I think. He had some pearls. He had some stellar ones. Luck yeah. of the draw. Uh, okay, let's get into it. So, mm -hmm. should we start off with movies? Because we haven't done movies for a little while. And to kick us off, Martin, would you do the honors? I would love to. Because <laughs> you're at least yeah. prepared. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, um my movie is, um, uh, many do consider it a classic, it's Dog Day Afternoon. That's a brilliant film. Which is, um, yeah, it, it's it's a really cool one to watch. I know you were saying about, you know, when you are saying about like the attention span thing is really difficult when it's quite a slow burning movie. Mm. This actually does, just kind of grips you. It, it's not particularly fast. It's, there's not a lot of action in it. But you just get so kind of caught up in the characters with it, um, and and the acting's so damn good. Um, it's um, Al Pacino. Mm. Um, um, I it, watched uh, it. I watched it after your first review on it. Yeah, mm, that's a good movie. Yeah, and it's it's funny too. Dark humor. Funny. It is. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I found yeah. it. I found it funny. Um, so those that don't know the story, it, it's based on actually on a true life um, thing. Um, mm. It was turned into a book called The Boys in the Bank. Um, and then from there it got um, picked up and turned into a screenplay. Um, but um, the, the, the basic story is um, two guys um, rob a bank 
um, and and basically bungle it quite badly. Mm. Um, but it turns into like this, a complete um, media circus um, and ends up with them having to take hostages and it all just goes horribly, horribly wrong. Um, it's definitely a movie where you, you don't kind of root for anyone in it. <laughs> it's like kind of like redeeming the character, really. You don't root for the cops because they're all absolute <laughs> assholes in it. And you definitely don't root, uh, root for the bank robbers either because they're just useless. Mm. <laughs> uh, so no one really wins in this movie. Um, uh, yeah, Al Pacino it, it basically stars um, really well supported by um, John Cazale as well. Um, he's a an in, really interesting actor to kind of like um, to to kind of check out. He's um, he only ever appeared in um, five movies um, oh. over the course of seven years, um, but all of those movies were nominated or won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Wow, that's not a bad track record. Yeah, doing five movies and all of them being nominated <laughs> or winning. So mm -hmm. Godfather. Uh, mm -hmm. The Conversation, which I don't know, Godfather Part 2, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. Mm -hmm. Pretty good to have those on your resume. Hell yeah. Um, oh, bad. Yeah. Um, and he's fantastic in the movie. Um, I, don't, I, kind of, I kind of don't want to spoil it um, and give away, give away the big plot twist. As to, um, but basically, his character um, is the reason why they're robbing the bank. Um, there's a there's a big twist <laughs> that, like, that kind of comes sort of halfway through the movie that kind of explains it. Um, but um, yeah, he's um, a real, um, he's very kind of on edge through the, the entire movie. And he, he, there is like a nerv real nervous energy to him when he's, he's performing. Um, and it, it's kind of cool to watch as he just gets more and more manic as it kind of goes on. It's a good um, performance. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of rewatched it a little while ago, and um, one thing that kind of really strikes me with it is actually that the, the intro, um, it's actually got um, an Elton John track playing through the the opening scene of the movie, mm. um, which is um, Amarina. Is the oh, track. That's, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Um, Tumbleweed Connection. Mm, uh, fits it really, really well. Um it, it just kind of ties in really well. And that, that's one thing that kind of like really sticks with me in my memory now of it when I kind of think about that movie. Um, yeah, um, it was a box office success. Uh, it was nominated for six Academy Awards and seven Golden Globes, won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay. And then in 2009, it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. All right. So that's a bit of a tick. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Really difficult to review it because, as I say, there's quite a lot of twists within it that I really don't want to give away. I agree. Um, no, I, I but, totally agree. Let's yes. go and find it. Yeah. Yeah. Go, but you should definitely go and check it out. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a great watch. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's definitely one that, although very much of its time, stands up today mm. and, and is still very watchable. Agreed. It's one of my favourite genres. So it come, it's an example of one of my favourite genres of film, which is loser movies. Mm. And this is one of the best. It's so good. 
none of the characters are particularly <laughs> competent and they're just brilliant losers. Um, so I just love films like that. I don't know what it is. Just it's uplifting. The uplifting and its funniness, yeah. but also yeah. they're sad losers. Mm. But yeah, yeah. it's yeah. funny. <laughs> you realise that there's quite a way you can fall before you get to their level, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Things could be worse. Thanks, Martin. Yeah. Mr. Wallace. Yeah, I uh, I was originally going to review Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold. So that long, sounds awesome. Long before Indiana Jones. Um, and it's set in the desert. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. But uh, well, I say it's fantastic. It's actually shit. So I didn't watch that. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually disagree with you. It, it comes from an interesting genre of films from around that time. Which was yeah. a lot of black, black independent films, black exploitation movies, and they're made on bugger all budget, and they're bloody funny, and often really quite cool. And was it, so was it many Rhea in that one, or I'm not uh, sure. That was um, Rhea, maybe. <laughs> no, that's good. You're allowed your opinion. That's good. I, uh, what I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just think without those black exploitation movies, I mean, so many of the sort of films of the um, 80s probably they owe them a debt of gratitude, I think. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's a, it's the one a, it's I, the a one I actually, genre to go for. Well, the, the one I actually chose was Dolomite, which falls into oh, that category as well. So, this, but, this movie is so badly good. Mm, yeah. And <laughs> Do you want to review it yeah, just shut up, Thurston. I'm going to get a win. It is so badly good. It's uh, in fact, it's so badly good. It's been remade, wasn't it, in two thousand and something, fifteen, fourteen, or something? It was a biopic on Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, mm. but yeah, it's it's, it's the, the movie's called Dolomite, um, and a bit like Glenn. I mean, I love all these sort of old seventies kind of street crimey gangster sort of. PI style kind of, you know, huggy bear, fast cars, old cars, that sort of terrible acting movies. Yep. Uh, every second word is mother beep. <laughs> it's because we can dig it. Yeah, we can dig it. And um, I don't necessarily enjoy the movie. Right on. But it's with, for me, those kind of movies. I find the storylines pretty weak, but uh, they are important. And but I I quite like them for the things like the music. I love that style of music. Uh, I'm a big massive Curtis Mayfield fan. Um, all that sort of stuff. I like all that sort of. I don't want to use the word black, but it kind of is underground. You know, mm. music. It was that's what it is, right? So it is what it is. Mm. Uh, 70s vibe. I love the clothes. I love watching the fashions of that time. For me, in a movie, that's excitable seeing people wearing things and, you know, the guy with the hot dog vendor and that sort of stuff. I love all that kind of crap. You're not the only one. Yeah. So, oh. uh, Dolomite, give you a quick breakdown. He's the main character, uh, played by uh, Rudy Ray Moore, and who actually co wrote the movie and the soundtrack. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, um, he's a pimp, uh, comedian, stroke comedian, uh, who's put in, he's been sort of set up and put in prison. He's been framed, basically. Uh, he gets released to sort out 
the sort of drug problem going on, the out of control drugs. There's lots of boobs. There's lots of swearing. Yeah. There's moderate violence. That's so, so bad. Yeah. It's I, so, I mean, I, <laughs> scenes are so weak and so funny. That's that, fantastic. Inducted yeah. into Martin's um, US Congress of Significant Culturally <laughs> Heritage. Arguably, it probably should have been. There's, there's a whole lot of those movies that came out in mm. 75, 76. Mm. I'm not sure about 77, but definitely. Uh, yeah, and it's good. If you want to watch a movie, if you're a listener and you want to watch something pretty lighthearted, uh, Starsky, Hutchy kind of thing, you know, mm. it's got the cool music. It's got the swag. It's all cool, man. Car chases. I'd give it car. Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, there's lots of guns and shooting, bad punches, pew, oh, that sort yeah. of stuff. I'd give it a five out of ten from this yeah. rotten tomato. And 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 did you see the sound boom pop down by mistake? Oh, yeah, it starts <laughs> like that, doesn't it? I think it's the sound boom pops down a couple of they times. They didn't even edit like... that out. No, I think the opening scene's got something like that in it. It's they, like, what they, the they hell They didn't is that? really have any money. Um, they really made it on a shoestring budget. Oh, and, wow. and I'll tell you what, Eddie Murphy's, um, he, he acted as Rudy Ray Moore um, in a film that came out a couple of years ago about, um, I think it is called Dolomite. I think ends right. But look, it's really good. I think it's Eddie, one of Eddie's best. Mm. And it does tell that story from Rudy Raymore and how he went from that time, you know, he was working as, a, I think, a DJ in a shop, eh? He was a stand-up comedian. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Mm. And um, Winter did that, and then he thought, you know, why yeah. aren't we seeing enough black people on, mm. on films? Why am I seeing always Whitey on the screen? Um, I want to see mm. us, and that's exactly it with that street slang and stuff. His records were massively popular, mm. um, the, the, um, the comedy records. And I'll tell you what, it, it took off. People loved watching those films because they were funny and people, it was their community up on the screen. And yeah, no, it's um, highly recommend day. That Eddie Murphy one was brilliant. He was fabulous in that. Yeah, I've not seen that one. Uh, but yeah, it's a yeah. good movie. It's a good movie. Go and watch Dolmite. Yeah, it's good. good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ian and Glenn. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> Ian, would you like to review Jaws? <laughs> yeah. So Jaws is about a um street smart shot. Dealing vengeance on the pimp. A very hip shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Oh. I think it's time to flip over in it, fellas. Da, I feel like I've flipped over already, but let's flip over. Da, 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 oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, guys, I'm not kidding. It's coming. I'm not liking the look oh, of this. No! Oh, I know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Guys, look behind you. It's in the water. It's in the water. It's going to get us, it's going to get us. Oh. Nice. 
It is. It's truly awesome, eh? Finding Nemo. Yes. Yes. Fish and chips for dinner. Which, let's be fair. Fish and chips. Finding Nemo is a bit traumatic at the beginning, eh? Um, it's on the reef, and then suddenly, you know, Nemo's entire family, apart from his dad, get wiped out by a barracuda. Thanks for the spoiler warning. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> well, I'm just, just saying, we thought, oh, why don't we watch a nice movie with Jess one day when she was little? And then Bruno and I are sitting there going, oh, crap, this is looking really ugly. Oh, no, 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 skip, 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 skip. Uh, and then the shark turns up and we're, like, terrifying the kid and she doesn't like watching movies with us. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, Bloody fish films, eh? Okay, let's Baby move on. Let's move on. No, since we makes it all better. We are totally there. It's your turn, Glenn. It's all right. I, I chose Jaws. Um, really? Quick review. Yes, I did. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. One of the first blockbusters of all time. Well, not really, but I think one of the first that sort of paved the way for sort of modern films. Um, it's a Steven Spielberg film. It was one of his first big sort of studio movies and he got lucky and he did well considering it went over budget by huge amounts, but he had an amazingly great script. He had great cast and Roy Schneider, Richard Dreyfus, and Robert Shaw. Um, and, you know, it terrified people no end about going to the beach. A and bloody about big robot shark. fish. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. A realistic one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that broke down a lot by all accounts. But I think in the magic of editing, as you well know, David, you're able to turn maybe something that's not necessarily too sharp um, um, and then turn it into something amazing. Um, and it was. And it became known for all its awful, awful movies that followed. But um, this first one here, again, Culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Are you serious? Uh, yes. Selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I just think, you know, the acting in it's great. The The storyline is hilariously funny. I think, Martin, you've said it before. It's a movie in two parts. Mm. There's the bit on the land, the bit on the land with all the mad townspeople, which kind of looks like watching an episode of The Simpsons. And then, uh, and then, because they're all bonkers. That's so true. It's like Springfield. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's like Springfield. And then you've got the out on the water when you, you need another, you need a bigger boat. Um, and, and I, you know, it's one of the favorite scenes in the film is, um, arguably, it's, it's not about the shark in so many ways. It's all about the tension because, that's built around it. It's what you don't show. I think that's what makes it such a clever, clever film, quite Hitchcocky. Um, but that great scene where they're on the boat getting drunk and the the sea captain Robert Shaw is talking about all the people that died on the SS Indianapolis. This year, where they got all eaten by sharks after being torpedoed. And it's a true story, but it's kind of. Good. It brings the mood down, and then suddenly the shark hits. It's pretty funny. It's actually a funny movie. It still makes me jump every time I watch it. Yeah, uh, it really does. Does, does Jess it like does. it? Does Jess like it? No, Jess hasn't seen that one. She oh, probably won't see that one. Some time. 
You showed a Nemo. Um, yeah, I know. You should have started with Jaws, then yeah. gone to Nemo. Ah, that's uh, one day. I reckon the film stacks up, and it does carry its pacing well, and I think that's one of the um, the cool things about it. I, mm. um, it was the biggest selling, or well, biggest box office sales until another small film called Star Wars came out a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, go the shark, man. It's awesome. Gotta love the shark. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Did you did you did you guys like it? Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, many years yeah, ago. Hell out of me. I don't remember it. There's a shark well, in it. I'm I'm one of the minority that actually likes the second one as well. Third and fourth oh, one after crap, but this the second one's four? actually good oh, fun as well. Good lord. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I vaguely remember that one. Isn't that with wife oh, of the shark comes along? Yeah, it's the one where they have like the uh it ends up in there, like throwing like barrels into the like depth charges into the center part of the shark. Again, but it's okay because Roy Schneider's in it, and I think he's he's awesome, Roy. I think he's brilliant. I think they did a 3D, didn't they? Jaws 3D. Yeah. It was a big thing back in the time. Oh, yeah. That that movie truly sucks, though. And then the fourth one was even worse. And that's the one with um, Michael Caine in it. And um, someone said to him, like, how, how the hell did, why the hell did you do that movie? And he said, I've never seen it, but it did pay for my house in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least he's honest. Don't uh, throw those bloody sharks at me. At me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and did Michael Caine act like Michael Caine in it? Um, <laughs> how <so> else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Best example of that, though, is um, yeah. you, have you ever seen Zulu? Yes. No. Well, Zulu is Michael Caine and Sean Connery. So, oh. so like, <laughs> two actors, you can't be anyone else but Michael Caine and Sean Connery, you know? Oh, no. That's a pretty bad, yeah. That's actually quite a good movie, Zulu, but it's just, yeah. yeah. Interesting oh, choice of actors, right? Arise, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, that, Michael Caine. Every time I've seen him in something, yeah, he's just the yep. It's Michael Caine. Yeah, that's Zulu. <laughs> man of many <laughs> talents. Man of many talents. All right, David, what you got, man? I'll round us off, eh, with another film that was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the U.S. Library of Congress. It just seems to be like. It was either a year for it, or they just gave these things out willy nilly. I just think these these films, all, um, all four of them tonight, are uh, arguably some of the best of the seventies. Yeah, well, this one is this one's all right. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, <laughs> this one's all right. I love it. Just <laughs> underplay it. This <laughs> one's all right. No, no, it's not too right. shabby. It it um uh polar opposite to yours, Glenn. It was a bit of a it was a bit of not a flop, but it wasn't at the time um, a big hit at the box office. It's gone off, on, of course, to be sort of um, mm. a cult classic and one that um, features a well, thirty-seven-year-old Jack Nicholson. He'd already sort of made a mark, made his mark, and was a big, big name back then. He was kind of peak Jack, if you like. Um, What's interesting is it stars it stars a number of people who were just starting their career. So Christopher Lloyd was uh, his first big feature film. Um, 
And of course, he went on to do Back to the Future um, 10 odd years later. Uh, Danny DeVito, very young Danny DeVito is in here. Mm, um, yes. And um, the late, recently late, uh, Louise Fletcher, who played the uh, the nurse. Um, nurse Ratched. Nurse yeah. Ratched, uh, who was just frighteningly stoic <laughs> and kind of so emotionless that she was quite creepy um, for a lot of it. Uh, so the film uh, is about, it's an American um, psychological comedy drama um, shot in a um, uh, mental hospital, uh, featuring in, in the mental hospital that the book is based off. So yeah, the book based off a novel, and it's about a um, psychiatric ward uh, that um, uh, essentially you've got Jack Nicholson's character. He was doing time and hard labor for statutory rape for minor. And he figured that it would be easier if he got himself committed to a, a mental hospital um, instead of doing hard labor. So he sort of faked to some degree the whole mental illness thing. Uh, <laughs> kind of backfires on him throughout the journey as he's admitted and then he sort of um uh becomes part of the part of the crew in there and uh yeah what i found really interesting about this um digging a bit deeper the second time around was that yes it was shot in the actual hospital that the book is based off but it was also the, the actors um and some of them are known before uh for a couple of months before shooting actually spent time in the hospital um and they were paired up with a with a patient um that they were they were kind of to model their character off um and and i, I kid you not um, i can't remember the name which actor it was but one of them he got so engrossed in it that he actually had to be pulled pulled back by the um the director for you know you, you're going a bit too far with this mate starting to actually have an impact on you and um it was driving them a bit potty so they yeah they really took their role seriously these guys um mm -hmm. sadly one of the actors uh what's his name now william redford um he was the guy that was having problems with his wife and sexual performance um the character that is he passed he was actually diagnosed with leukemia while on set and passed away a year later sadly um mm. so it was a film that had sort of these guys took these took these roles really seriously and uh it was yeah it's a dark comedy that's got a pretty checkered sort of production um it obviously did very well at the academy awards it won best picture best actor in the lead role best actress in the lead role best director and best screenplay um so the big five uh, and something that hadn't been done since 1934 and wasn't to be repeated until many years later when Silence of the Lambs also took out those five uh, top five categories. So, um, But it wasn't a box. It wasn't a box. No, office hit. not at the time. No, huh. no. And, oh. um, and, and it's got, yeah, it does have a really checkered history, the whole production of it. It was meant to have been made by... Um, Oh, what's his name? Michael Douglas's father. What's the guy's name? Um, Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. So Kirk Douglas, he actually bought the rights to do this film 10 years earlier in the 60s. 
and couldn't get a film company to back him or a movie set or whatever to back him. So he ended up giving it to his son, Michael, selling the rights to his son, Michael Douglas, who was able to pull together the funding and that for it, um, get a backer. And um, Kirk Douglas was, it was always his dream to play the lead character, um, uh, played by Nicholson. But by the time he got around to it in 75, he was already 60 years old and considered just wouldn't work. So really sad there. Because, yeah, by all accounts, it was his actual dream to to, to do this film and to play mm. the role. So um, his son ended up, obviously, um, being one of the producers on it. Um, Saul Sands and Michael Douglas produced it. Milos Foreman is the director. And, um, yeah, based on True Story by Ken Kies, Kiesi, Kiesi. Um Yeah, I think if you haven't seen it, you're probably one of the few because by the sounds of things, it's a classic um, check it out. It's it is a bit slow. It is one of those slow burns, Ian. But there are some absolutely hilarious scenes in there. Um, yeah, I've I've watched it. I liked it, and um, I like Jack Nicholson. I like his performance. So that's enough for me to keep in it. He's it's good acting. There's mm. there's a um, I'll put a link up on our Facebook page. There's a three minute clip that has them sitting around in on the chairs. You can see what's happening, right? So the nurse. She's Ness Ratchet. She's kind of asking um, one of the guys about uh, was about sort of why he's something about his marriage or something like that, and and it just starts to to, to really turn go south in a big way. They all start fighting each other and arguing and that. But Jack Nicholson says nothing throughout the whole three minutes, and he's just looking and turning from one side to the other, just watching. And his the expressions on his face yeah. are hilarious, and you can kind of see why he was cast as the joker you know 12 years later you could just see that that this this was what they they probably would have gone that's you know look at a cv or check out what he did in 75 and you can just see he looks he looks but he's actually um just looking into it a little bit deeper he's the whole reason for that scene is that he's meant to be us and he's meant to be sort of um but I guess it's a hyper sort of version of the audience in terms of his facial expressions, because he's not, he's not saying anything, but he's just doing it all with his, with his face. And um, it's really, it's really clever. Uh, his acting, but also the way they tell the story. So I'll post it up on our Facebook page and, and you can see what I'm rabbiting on about. Um, yeah. Good movie. Go and check it out. If you haven't seen it. I wonder if it never became a blockbuster because of maybe the subject, you know, mental illness and stuff. At that time, might have not been that popular or touched on, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's got a pretty dark ending in some ways. Mm. It's uplifting as well, but it's also pretty dark. Um, so yeah, it's not one of those ones you walk away um, laughing. No. All right. Shall no. we move on to the music, fellas? So it must be Martin's turn to lead us out. Martin, what did you have for us on the album front? Well, um, certainly in my top 10 albums of all time, possibly in my top five. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's A Night at the Opera by Queen. Uh, <laughs> Thought it would be. No, no, I had to do. Not to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, We're getting to know you, man. We're getting to know you. <laughs> yeah, your favourite band. It wasn't a surprise. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, hey, you know, I think the thing that, that I really want to kind of point out with this album is, despite in, or in spite or despite the fact that it's the album of Bohemian Rhapsody on it, 
if that song wasn't on the album, it would still be an absolute killer album. It's, mm. you know, the fact that, that that's kind of like the icing on the cake for this album. But it, what I, I love about this is, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's progressive rock, it, it's pop, it's heavy metal, it's like folk music, there's skiffle on there, there's musical, there's jazz, and, and of course there's opera on there as well. You know, it, it's got absolutely everything on this album. Mm. And it really was like, you know, if, if they could throw the kitchen sink on it, <laughs> then they did it. Um, it's Queen. Exactly, yeah. It was the album that kind of made or break, broke them really as well. Um, you know, the, the first track on the album is called Death on Two Legs. And um, <laughs> although, it's, um, although it's not ever sort of kind of actually said, um, it's basically um, <laughs> Fred, Freddie's hate letter towards their first manager, a guy called Norman Sheffield, mm-hmm. um, who really basically um, screwed the band over. Um, you know, by this point, they'd had like, you know, a couple of hit singles. Um, the tours were really successful. Um, and, um, you know, this was their fourth album. Um, and they had no money, no money whatsoever, all skin. Um, and um, the, um, the bass player, John Deacon, had asked um, to borrow, I think it was four, or wanted a loan of £4,000 to buy a house for his, his new wife and, and to start his family. And, and the manager turned him down. Um, and that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, really. And they, they managed to get rid of him um, through, and I think it was pretty tough as well in terms of like, legally trying to sever the, the contract that they had, uh, they ended up turning to John Reed, who was Elton John's manager at the time, um, mm. to get them out of it, um, which he did. Um, but it wasn't cheap. Um, so the album itself, um, I'm pretty sure at the time it was released, it was the most expensive album ever made. Um, they, they really did go full out on it. Um, it was also... Um, think it was something like six months it took to, to record, um, mm. which was a heck of a long time for an album back in the 70s, really. Most people were kind of in and out the next day, you know. Um, it, I guess the when, when you kind of break that album down and, and kind of deconstruct the songs, the amount of work that went into it, it it's, it's very much a studio album, you know, mm. which is why they never kind of, when it got to like playing live, you know, if you, if you ever watched it, they never played... Bohemian Rhapsody from the start to finish live because you just couldn't do it, you know, which is why when it got to the opera section, the stage used to go black or they'd have a video yeah. screen and the band would go off and then come back with the heavy metal, but it's just impossible to do. It's something, it was, it, it got to the point where the amount of overdubs that they were doing on the real to real tape when they're recording it was so many that the tape actually went see-through. <laughs> they actually see through the tape. It got to that point. Um, it was it was pretty pretty yeah. close to the bone with that song, um, yeah. yeah. Um, as I say, like it's such a diverse album. It go it literally goes from you know heavy metal to um, to kind of almost yeah folk folk kind of style music. I mean, it's the song Thirty Nine, which is a Brian May song. Mm. Um, it's a great song, and and if you kind of look at the story for that song as well, it's um, it's it's a sci fi song. <laughs> it's science fiction. It's the story of a man who um, I think goes up into space and um, 
upon his return, it realizes that a hundred years has passed. So everybody that he knew has died. Um, and um, yeah, it, um, Brian May uh, kind of described it once as sci-fi skiffle. <laughs> 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 um, uh, another one of my favorites on there is a song called um, um, Seaside Rendezvous. Yeah. Great. which is kind of very kitsch and very kind uh, of locality hmm. um but it um it features a section which they kind of like ended up kind of it became like a bit of a pastiche thing that they started to kind of put on every album from that point on um and it's actually right there until like the very light, late last album so if you listen to something like innuendo there's a track on there called delilah which is about one of freddie's cats you know <laughs> so still kind of doing that thing um well, no, <laughs> One of the cool things about this track, though, is they did a whole uh, like brass band, like Dixieland jazz brass band thing, just with voices. So they were all kind of pretending to be like the trumpets and stuff, and like, kind of stuff. Brilliant! And, um, it, it's just brilliant. It's just so well done. And again, you, you just you can see why they spent six months putting it together because that must have just taken forever to kind of do. Um, they, certainly, they certainly didn't take themselves too seriously, which I was. No, it was always like a very tongue-in-cheek thing with them, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and the band always kind of were quite a visual band as well. You know, they always kind of said that in terms of, you know, in terms of the live shows, they wanted it to be kind of bombastic and, and bigger than life, mm. which is where like the whole Freddie Freddie Mercury kind of persona really kind of comes from, you know. Um, because he certainly wasn't like that off stage. Mm. Although he did have, he was, he did live a pretty rock and roll lifestyle at times. <laughs> um, yeah, it, um, it, you know, it, it's probably, it's, I mean, it is kind of mostly regarded as kind of like the band's kind of just the resistance, really. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a, it's a really cool album. I think what I, one thing to kind of point out with this album as well is it kind of overshadows the one that followed it. Which was um, a day at the races. Oh, yeah. Um, we've, but in my mind, the, the, it's it's like the Beatles. It's like Rubber Soul and Revolver. Those two albums, you know. If if you, you know, if the Beatles ever did a, a like a double album, instead of it being the Beatles or the White Album, it should have been Rubber Soul and Revolver. Basically, that would have been like the most epic double album ever. Um, and for Queen, you know, if they'd ever done a double album, it, it, mm -hmm. if you put those two albums back to back, they really stand up against each other. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're both excellent albums. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. I mean, I could wax lyrical about this album for hours, for hours, but um, it, it's a great, great album. Um, uh, you know, don't let the fact that you've heard Bohemian Rhapsody a billion zillion times kind of put you off it. Um, go and listen to the rest of it because it's it's probably like you know, it's, it's, uh, in terms of like rock albums, it's probably creatively like right up there. Right. Yeah. Is it, does it end with God Save the Queen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. God Save the Queen, yeah. Queen, that's right. Um, yeah, good album. Is this, the, is this the song that it's also got, um, I'm in love with my car? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm in love <laughs> with my so car, funny. which is written by, written by the drummer, Roger Taylor. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so funny. That caused so many arguments in the band um, because it ended up being the B-side to Bohemian Rhapsody. Which of course went on to sell like a gazillion billion copies, <laughs> and Rosalie got like half the royalties because they had to be so. totally, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That song is bonkersly fun. It is, yeah. 
have this you, raunchy have, ass song directly in love with his car. It's what's really, wrong with that? You're allowed to be in love no, with things. It, seriously, yeah. it is such a funny song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm feeling you, you know that that has on your grease gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all these English double English double in your windows. Hey, have you got oh, a track or so two cute. for us, Martin? Yeah, um, so the first one I'm going to play is, is Death on Two Legs. shows off Freddie's amazing piano skills really um doesn't really get the credit for it for his piano playing as much as he probably should um he was classically trained but i didn't got it as far as like grade five um but what, when you listen out, to out, the, out of out of what what out of eight. the grades go yeah. oh. it goes up to eight but five is yeah the, the last three kind of like a huge kind of step up so five's kind of you know at, at a reasonable level um yeah, go and check it out anyway. Yeah, Queen, Night the Opera, awesome. Mm. Must be Mr. Wallace. Me, yeah, man. me, oh, me, oh. I certainly do. I've got an album. Man, I loved 1975. It was great. I, um, right, I had, what have I written down here? There was, I've written, there are so many cool albums to choose from because there was uh for me it was a toss-up between curtis which i mentioned earlier on big fan and uh also barry white and also harold melvin well i love all that undergroundy i love that's i know in fact i think that might be my roots doesn't matter what color you are 
it's what you're into and that's mm. i love that stuff so um yeah uh i felt like it was time to give uh these bad boys a little bit of uh recognitionness and i went for the tower of power oh wow yeah Ooh. martin's like wow glenn and dave are like yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well shame on you yeah just insanely good it's it's like the the best horn section ever <laughs> yeah and and they were like you, you know they were so kind of tight and so funky that again like they probably played on a billion billion funk albums at the time mm. like so they're the, on tower power. the tower the tower of power the tower of power mm, i got introduced okay. to these guys about probably quite recently maybe five years ago and i was going through a big funk phase and um I was at a gig and, and one of, I call him my cosmic brother. One of my cosmic brothers came up to me and went, Hey man, um, have you heard of Tower of Power? You're like those guys. And I went, no, nah, never heard of them. And uh, as soon as I heard, you know, the first four bars, I was like, yeah, that's me. The album's called Urban Renewal and it's by the band Tower of Power. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, I like them because their funk music's always kind of carried a little bit of a message as well. Uh, it's a little bit deeper than, you know, your, the kind of stereotypical sort of James Brown, that kind of like, Ow, you know, go mm. ahead, you know, right on. It's a little bit more than that. There's, yeah. There is actually messages in it. There's decent lyrics. Um, yeah, they're very, very good. And what I'm going to do now is give you a little snippet. You want to hear? Yes, please. Sure, man. Yeah. The suspense. Right. Well. Tower of get, Power. Tower of Power. Get your flares on and your platforms. And I'll show you what we're going to do, brother. Right. The first song I have chosen is actually the first song on the album, which is called There Is Only So Much Oil. In the ground. Hit it. I have clickable. There you go. So I don't want to. I don't want to uh, overexploit it. Song I've ever heard, mate. Oh damn! These guys are good. Yeah, these 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 guys are burning hot. So that was the first uh, uh, song on the on the album. Um, The album for me is it's a it's quite a nice mix of funk as well. Mm. uh, Yeah, there's some slower sort of funk groove. You know, groove funk. Uh, There's some steaming hot funk. There's some mind-blowing brass sections, which, like Martin said, they were known for. They were known for that. The mm. brass is insane, um, but you know, above all, it's it's hip. It's hip, man. Um, the album produced by Emilio Castillo, um, which has got it's a real tight production, mm. which I like in an album. I like things that are produced well. Uh, I because I, I think it just kind of helps the. I think that helps with the 
the way the music ages you know yeah. good production makes a big diff you know for me anyway um lenny williams is on the lead vocals for that album and then he went solo shortly after that um emilio castillo is on the tenor sax and he's a producer i mean that's just insane you know these guys were so talented man yeah. you know they, they just didn't do one thing they just did everything you know you know and really really prolific too there's so many records out there yeah you know we've talked before about like we, we about that whole 70s funk thing with the horns like you know we talked about the stevie wonder ones and stuff like that it mm. just it just cuts through so much it's so <laughs> such a cool sound it's amazing oh, um, yeah. you know you just get you get the image in your head of the guys you know all in like the crushed velvet suits like mm. you know spinning oh, the trumpets oh, and then you have the fire thing and all of that you know it's, it's amazing it's, it's so cool <laughs> that's what i think that's what i love about that stuff so much and it's same with curtis mayfield i'm really really big fan of curtis because he kind of really he does a really good do job of like um documenting what's going on at the time mm. he's really mm. good at doing that through the music you know like um all the drug pushing and stuff and these guys kind of do the same thing you know the music is 100 percent 70s man mm. this that's it you know you want 70s music tower of power mm. is going to give you that james, um yeah james brown also and about that time also was exploring some of that social commentary as well in his records hey eh? uh, it was mm. yeah really uh i think it, you know what i would call a renaissance of i know it's where blues sort of ended up eh? in some ways those stories and i think you've, from there you've got hip-hop today which is mm. that's a lot of that spoken sort of that progression yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. but have these guys the, have you heard of the dap kings no i haven't no check them out um they backed um uh sharon jones uh who was a soul singer before she passed away oh. and they also backed um amy winehouse on back to black mm. a really sharp really sharp band mm. you think you'll like oh, that i will check them out i have to put a link up for that man um yeah but the, this the yeah emilio castillo is kind of like the driving force behind this band uh he worked with wilson pickett quite a lot uh, santana did a bit with santana as well so yeah, very yeah musically really good uh second track i've got for you which is off the um album urban renewal is called to say the least you're the most it's a little bit deeper than that there mm. you go get your chops around this Oh, you could listen to the whole thing all night long, couldn't you, man? Oh, yeah. um, Did you have to stop that? Uh, and it just, for that, for me, that track there really just depicts the whole, uh, the whole essence of Tower of Power, which for me is 
I think the key ingredients uh, that they're super tight. The the brass lines are just right there, dropping under, dropping in. Uh, beautiful sax playing. This this heaps of space around the music. There's awesome bass lines. Um, yeah, just a, just a really good bloody band. So if you want to get yeah. funky, go and check out the Tower of Power. And that that album it wasn't my favourite Tower of Power album, I don't think, but. Uh, I'm really glad I actually listened to the whole thing. I think it's cool. It's the one with like the bandstand picture on the front. I think we came to play. I think it's called or something like that. That's a phenomenal one. Yeah, and their live stuff's also that that track I just played you there was a a live one from later on. But I mean, you hear it. That's just so tight, man. That's what funk should be about. That yeah, that vocal it, line was just the coolest, mm. wasn't it? It's just oozing. Cool. It's hit. Brother, I've, I've got another recommendation in a similar vein from that time. A eh? um, skull snaps. Have you heard of skull snaps? No, no, a sort of the one hit al- well, not even a one hit album, sort of an underground sort of album. Uh, funky as hell, man. Go skull, find skull, skull snaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely awesome. I've got it. Yeah, I'll check him out. Mm, well, worth it. Set- eh? 73 yeah a little bit before but there you go yeah no great yep Mm -hmm. good thank you thanks you're welcome it's got the groove on glenn oh that up mate pretty hard to i'm probably going to bring the mood down probably terribly you'll know it so so you think you could tell Can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail? A smile from a veil. Do you think you can tell? Did they get you to train? Your heroes for ghosts. Hot ashes for trees. Every time you hear it, it never it never tires though, right? It's such a good song. Um, when you hear them do it, yeah. I think, I think lyrically, I think it's probably their best song as well. It's good. Oh, it can mean much. There's so much to anyone, really. Those, you know, did you exchange a walk on? Parter for a lead role in a cage. Um, it's it's yeah. the uh, we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl for me. Uh, yeah, it's like Jules. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, been a, it's been a night of fish and they were in, they were inspired by Jules when he wrote it. Well, we did wish you were here coming. Um, you know, this was a band, and you know, basically an indie band who kind of made it big with an album called Dark Side of the Moon, and after that. They got everything that they ever wanted. You know, they had, they, they achieved the toppest of the poppest. Um, and then what do you do next? And Wish You Were Here, the album came out in 75, and that was the follow-up to that 
enormous Dark Side of the Moon album. And really it should have been titled Wish We Were Here because that's kind of how they felt, sort of physically, mentally exhausted um, from touring on the road, trying to find what's next. Do they really want to continue on as a band, really? Because they sort of came in part-time. You know, other interests came more important. Um, but for, miraculously, they were able to pull together probably one of their finest, if not finest, album from, I think a lot of people th- rate Wish You Were Here as probably the, their favourite Pink Floyd album, and, and rightly so, eh? Um, and originally it was going to, um, you know, they had this epic song called um, Shine On Your Crazy Diamond, um, which was written about Sid Barrett. And then when they recorded it, Sid Barrett turned up, you know, expecting to play. Who and it was an extraordinarily sad sight for them to see their ex bandmate, who was now bald and quite large, who said that I've eaten a lot of pork chops and gone had gone completely off the planet, sort of thing. You know, when they were doing the mix for Wish You Were Here, and they're like, right, is that actually sad? So, yeah, it it is a the album in. And particularly Shining Crazy Diamond, which you were here, uh, is a um, a sort of a, a lament, a requiem for their lost bandmate, which is, you know, there's a lot of soul in this. And when we talked a lot about soul before, but this is, you know, definitely different type A. Mm. And then there's other songs stitched together about the industry of working in the, yeah, the in music industry with um, Welcome to the Machine and um, the yeah, Have a Cigar you're going to go far. Um, but I think, yeah, wish you were here. Um, you know, tremendous that they were able to pull something out. And again, it was typical Pink Floyd stitching it together with bits of songs and then eventually stitching it all together. Um, yeah, quite, quite brilliant. Um, oh, so what, I re- it- what I recall last week, someone said that he was a blues guitarist with a, just a bloody big ear. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, so I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know what? I mean, there's some, you know, wish you, uh, shiny crazy diamonds around those four chords, uh, four four notes, isn't it, Ian? Um, that was oh, the no. I think shiny crazy diamonds got a real nice chord structure. It's a lot more than yeah. four. But though, that initial those notes, that ding, 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 ding. Um, Is that, that even? Even yeah. those are unusual. Yeah, they're not. I that that they're was, the, but that was the trigger for the rest of the song because they really had nothing in the tank left after Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, they. I tried. read that. Uh, I think I read somewhere or heard something that he played. He came up with a riff, didn't he? He played the A minor in the wrong fret on the guitar. Is that what he did? Mm, something played like that. It, eh? Played it a fret up. Maybe a fret oh down. fuck! I do that all the time. More, more by, <laughs> more by, more by accident than anything. I didn't mm. remember shining your crazy diamond though. Yeah, no, no. And the year before, and it just triggered something off in Roger around those what it brought up emotionally. Those, those instant sort of notes and um, that sequence. Just that was it. Bowman, he was off, inspired, and then you've got um, the whole band coming together around those particular pieces. But I think it's probably, I think. Richard Wright, Rick Wright is probably one of the stars of the that whole album, um, particularly. And I don't think he probably gets enough cred for it. His playing on it is fabulous. Mm. Um, 
and one of my favorite pieces is part nine of um shining you crazy diamond which is this sort of this sad lament right at the end um and in the live shows um dave gilmore sort of joined in playing with him and dropped in this really quite tasteful little um solo as well which is just sort of heartbreaking um and that's sort of how it ended at the same time this big giant mirrorball flower thing opens up as well so it's it obviously created a big sort of impact for the audience because richard wright wasn't kind of like recognized as like an official member of the band is that right for quite a long time um only from 87 when he got fired in 1979 yeah so maybe and not until 1993 i think before he, he was, was re, re, renamed yeah he was always uh standing behind a pillar like, what the fuck is Richard again? Yeah. yeah. Anyone see Rich? Uh, and then, He's and then the pillar. Then eventually they built a wall for him, and then they he never came <laughs> That's the ultimate insult, right, Rich? Yeah, We're going to build a wall yeah. around you, man. Don't yeah, take yeah. it personally. Yeah, yeah. So he's gone, eh? Just left right out. Um, <laughs> Um, so if a listener who haven't heard Wish You Were Here, um, I, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a, a You know, Chadwick put on our thing, a, 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 don't know if you guys listen to it, he put on the, the Eddie Van Halen without keys yeah. um, jump. Mm. And just, you know, it shows, everyone knows how important keys are, but God, when you actually listen to something, when they remove it. It's pretty beer. Mm. Oh, just, it just... Man, it changes everything, really. Yeah, absolutely. Completely, um, you know. And I can play a little bit of that final um, outro from one of the a reasonably recorded bootleg. If you're interested, I'm not sure if you guys have heard any of the live stuff from that time. I know I like nerded out over it. It's just the, play a little bit. Yeah, is this the fifth? Is this the fifth bootleg version or the twelfth bootleg uh, version? It's possibly one of the better ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um this is the only band that i'll probably go deep deep into sort of sort of bootleg territory and crazy land day um compared to others uh anyway here's a little bit of it from the last part of shining crazy diamond part nine
Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to put a call into one of Ian's uh, herbal wizard friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically like muddy waters though through an ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, they ain't no prog band. Yeah, and you're right. It's more of a bluesy sort of sad end to the song. Yeah, they're good yeah. writers, man. That's and that's the stuff. live stuff. So it's not on the album. But when mm -hmm. I heard that um, live for the first time, I'm like, oh, holy moly. And it's the, the sheer emotion and the, the playing. Um, well, it gets me every time. Wish you were here, man. No, David's got to build nice. it back up again now. What have you got for us, Dave? Come well, on, mate. This is this is gonna be a tough one for me because I'm amongst some absolute Bowie aficionados here, so I'm gonna try my best to review this album. But I know um, I'm probably the least schooled up um, in Bowie. No, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, because I nearly I nearly did it, and I know nothing about David Bowie Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie Bowie. Bowie. So I uh, I chose Young Americans by Mr. Bowie. Um, hmm. It's an album that I didn't hadn't listened to before. Obviously, know the song, uh, the lead song of No Fame, which sort of opens with Young Americans and it closes with Fame. Not many songs on it. It's like six or eight. But yeah, um, it's an interesting album. Um, he refers to it as Plastic Soul. <laughs> you know why it's eh? true. yeah of, it's his departure from sort of um growing up if you like maybe from glam rock into soul and funk but it's plastic soul plastic funk in other words it's kind of it is but it isn't and he's kind of the first to sort of call that out and say yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to sort of move in that direction but i'm not nearly as good as the guys that can really do it um and maybe some of the stuff you were playing earlier um Ian. Uh so and and you can certainly hear it in um uh in, in a couple of the tracks um one I'm gonna pop on shortly which I'd never heard before. Uh it's got a bit of an interesting history to it. Um uh I think it's the fourth track on the album, isn't it? It's called Right. Do you know it? Uh -huh. Nope. I'm not even sharing, am I? No, no. You're grooving. You're grooving out. <laughs> I'm grooving to myself. You're grooving out, and no one can hear anything, mate. Well, waiting for you. Th thanks for telling me, guys. Oh, uh, I thought it was a track. I thought it, it was doing like a Philip Glass thing. <laughs> All right. I was just enjoying watching you. Thank you. <laughs> Take two. Let's have another go. Gorgeous. Bye, mates. Can hear it now, Dave. It's good.
What do you reckon, fellas? What do you reckon that song's about? I mean, it's pretty funky in it. It's got a, it's got a good groove. Well, I think it's something dirty and sexual, and it shouldn't be <laughs> sung about. But I couldn't understand what he was saying, really. To be honest, Martin's Google, Martin's Google, haven't you, Martin? Uh, I'm having a look. Uh, I'm really quite, quite interested by the fact that it's um, Luther Vandross on backing vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. yeah, it's an all-star yeah. cast. So yeah, I get into the, the connection with Lennon before. Yeah, totally. He um he brought in some real heavy hitters. So the, the lyrics for the song, taking it all the right way, keeping it in the back, taking it all the right way, never no turning back, never need no, never no turning back. Well, that's probably Luther Van Dross that wrote that, because I think he might have been, was he, a bit like that one? Oh well, don't know. Um, don't know. No one actually knows. Lyric, There's a Bowie's lot of people. Always... Yeah, it's purposely written with the um, a high level of ambiguity. Uh, I under, it does sound a bit plastic. I see what you mean by yeah. plastic soul. Yeah. It's got yeah. that. Yeah, totally. It's too much. It's yeah. almost too, too yeah. um, pointed and sort of on the nose. You know. But yeah, it's like yeah, really. But it's quite similar to Young Americans as well, isn't it? It's totally, yeah. Mm. In fact, there's there's three tracks that are have all that very similar type of groove um, on mm. on a album of eight tracks, I think. Um, it's got "Across the Universe" written by um, Lennon McCartney on it. Mm. Mm. John apparently Terror. flew over there and helped him, um, and is actually playing on that track um, as well. Mm. Uh, Bowie. There's a, a hilarious quote uh, somewhere out there in internet land where Bowie's uh, on the record saying that he thought the Beatles go at it was was a bit weak um, and uh, <laughs> not not the best. He thought that his so he thought he'd redo it with um, a bit, bit rockier, a bit more oomph to it, and he said, yeah. and, "But no one else likes it, but I do. So that's all that matters." Yeah, your your guys version shit yeah i'm gonna totally. do it way better um yeah, that sounds like a very coke driven comment oh yeah he was yeah he was out of his yeah. office friggin tree um a lot of, a lot of them were uh, i do like young americans i think it's a cool poppy track i do like the last bit of it i'm gonna put a little bit on it now i think where there's a little nod to the beatles Bang alive. I read the news today. Staying alive. Yeah, I read the news today. Did you say staying alive, Martin? I said staying alive. Oh, staying alive. <laughs> said, he said staying alive. It could have been staying alive. Dead. <laughs> I and he went alive. like he went like that when he did it. He went staying yeah, yeah, alive. Yeah. He did. We saw him. You went looking.
it is a cool, catchy little pop tune. Uh, I wouldn't oh, say it's anything. Nothing what is that. what is the no. one song that makes him want to break down and cry? Um, Who knows? Who knows? His cover <laughs> across the universe. Stay alive. <laughs> yeah, his, his version. Just a little bit because I think it's hideous. Sorry, David. It is hideous. It's it not, is. It's not. Um, it doesn't. Not everything was a, a winner. Here we go. Just a little bit of it. Into a paper cup, they slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Fools of sorrow, Let's leave David there, I think. No, and it's so overblown as well <laughs> by the end. However, the album does have some... Yeah. <laughs> I would rather listen to Britney Spears without auto-tune than that. Well, look, it probably would be better than yeah. that cover, yeah. <laughs> However, don't, don't, don't feel bad that the album's got that song on it because there's some brilliant songs on it, wins on it, and that's an amazingly underrated track. And it's got fame on it. I mean, what's not to like about fame? Yeah. No, you don't like fame? Fame is in the limo? No? I I mean, I could, yeah, I could upset so many listeners. I just don't get the whole Bowie thing, man. He's not my bag, eh? I just think half his stuff's shit and the other half is, he's just more about the dude than the music. I don't know, man. just doesn't do it for me, eh? I've tried. I have tried. Fair call. I find yeah. him very hit and miss. Like some of it I love, some of it it's just like mm. I got that too. Like that oh, one that you, you just like Dave before you did the Beatles cover. Mm. Um, like what the hell was he singing there? Like it, you know, it's when he goes on one of his riff things and he starts like just spouting words that don't actually have any kind of correlation with the other words that he's saying. <laughs> it's just like that just loses me. I mean, he's, a, he's an iconic figure, right? And I and I do like that he changed a lot of shit. I like that. But musically, for me, I struggle so hard. And I tried his early stuff, his late stuff, Ziggy Stardust stuff. Yeah. Just, I, I love can't Starman. get it. I think Starman's an absolute smashing track. So while I, was, um, while I was in the UK... Um, not far from where my my mum and dad lived, there's a there's a place called Tolworth. <laughs> Tolworth is like the least rock and roll place in the universe. <laughs> it's uh it's basically it's, it's like a Broadway. It's just like a, a dual carriageway mm. with some shops down either side of it, <laughs> and, and a big tower at the end of it called Tolworth Tower. Um, there's a big roundabout that leads on to like the motorway that takes you all the way into central London, basically. Um, and on the corner of that roundabout, there used to be a pub called the Toby Jug. Um, and it's, it's, it's rock and roll. It's a legendary venue, apparently. Like, the first ever appearance of Bowie and Ziggy Stardust took place at that pub. Good God, really? Yeah. Fleetwood Mac were, the house, were a house band there for many years in the 70s. Um, Zeppelin used to play there. Deep Purple used to play there. Really? Um, yeah. 
like everybody and their dog basically <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately got knocked down like I'm guessing like in the 80s and that's a bowling alley but um yeah it, it's just goes to show right that you know and when i was when i was with my dad and we were walking around um kingston which is like oh um kind of like hometown i guess mm. and um there's a little um a little bar it's called bacchus and you have to go downstairs to get to it. it's like one of those like underground kind of bar things and my dad said to me you know, back in the sixties, I used to go to that pub and like Mick Jagger would be in there all the time. And I just thought, my dad's a lot cooler. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing. Like how many, like of those guys, these iconic rock figures, like were around that area. Um, Is it really? Yeah. I suppose they had to hang out somewhere. Right. And, and, um before they were famous then it was just yeah and it was just such a con- such a concentration of them and it's such a you know so mm. who amongst us is the bowie who's bowie who's bowie mad amongst us mr thurston's the bowie aficionado oh okay yeah. so dude I'm, i mean I'm, why, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan so what would you rate that whole album out of 10 out of that particular one yeah dave young americans young, young americans one I'd probably only give it a three out of five. It's, well, that's not out of ten; that's out of five. <laughs> well, that's I know, but I don't do it. Double do it, Yeah. <laughs> so yes, thanks. absolutely. I think I think there's an element with with Bowie that I I really love, which is he's not afraid to try stuff, and he's a good collaborator. Fuck you. I've been more into the alternative stuff. And he's kind of like the, one of the godfathers of that stuff. So yeah, some of it is extraordinary as a miss. And there are albums that I particularly love, like we talked about, Station to Station on 76, which I just think is stellar. Um, yeah, and there's loads. But yeah, not all of that stuff in the 80s. Good God, that was terrible. Um, yeah, and but when he you know, teamed up with Nine Inch Nails, that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I can totally understand. He's definitely one of those hit and miss sort of guys for many people. But um, yeah, it's I got the, to go and watch him, watch him live. I got to watch him live in Wellington in the pouring rain. You did, and he was he was extraordinary. Um, yeah, he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very lucky. I got to see him as well, although only for like two songs. But he was still mm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just a really a really genuine warm performer he was really really good yeah yeah by that stage he was david bowie not uh, any particular character he was he was himself and just loving every minute of it and it was awesome to watch i do like his i think i i admire his um The, you know the characters he played and the, sort of the journey he took and yes a lot of it was drug induced and that but even um reading some of the stories of um like in the mid 60s people flatting with him um his girlfriend and that wrote you know they've, they've written books on it and it just seems like such an interesting character that would you'd probably if, if we met him today you'd think yeah he's a bit fucking screwy you know he's a bit 
if he can short of a dozen but mm. but, but a genius you know um as well it's, it's often the case though right often yeah. the case yeah that's right mm. one of my work like colleagues me. met him yeah. yeah one of my work colleagues in, in wellington met him after that gig at the stadium here she was at um motel bar and that's where the after party was and Jeez. she went along with the mate and she was just sitting by herself because um, she didn't really she went with her friend and she didn't really know anyone around there and then Bizarrely, David Bowie just came up and sat next to her and had a yarn to her. Serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, he did. How does that and he, not... and, and um, she was like, um, she knew who he was, and she go, he goes, "Did you go to the show?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I went." To, she went, "Yeah, I went to the show. It was really good." And but he, all he wanted to do was ask about the music scene in Wellington and in, in New Zealand, and just really genuinely interested in music around what what's going on here, um, and just yeah, totally into it, eh? Just really so that was <clears throat> that was a ten minute it, conversation. Right. Yeah, well, it was longer than that, but yes, yeah, totally genuine, sort of a day. <laughs> I was well, forward, you, went, eh? you, went, I've... you went back in the country, Ian. Otherwise, it would have been fifteen minutes. Uh, <laughs> Damn, the guy up Taranaki, mate. You got to check this dude out. Love you, Chan. <laughs> well, I think we should all make a pilgrimage up to um, see Ian for the um, King. Is it in the Wizard Lizard show at the Bowl? I reckon that'd be a hoot. What the yeah, I'm quite this? keen to go actually. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm quite what's... keen as well. Eh? I must have missed something. What was what's this Gizzard Lizard thing about? Uh, 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 <laughs> King King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard are performing at the Bowl of Brooklyn's, and I've always wanted to go to a show there. Never been to one. Um, they're a what psychedelic they? band from Australia, and and they're also playing with some other New Zealand um, up in. Well, psych bands like Carnivorous Plant Society, um, and 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 things like that. I think it, it could be a really fun evening out. I really do. It'd be trippy as. When, when is this? February. Uh, I think it's the sixth of January. So I mean, it's right in the holidays, which would be quite cool. No, you're always welcome. King what lizard? King gizzard and the wizard lizard. Yeah, I mean, they're a little bit them. surfy. They're a little bit surfy. I thought. Who oh, knows what the hell they well, they're are. right at home at bloody Taranaki, aren't they? Go down to Openaki and yeah. catch some surf. Get Probably. some surf, bro. Psychedelic. That was 75. Yeah, 75. Yeah. So it was. some absolute stunners there, both albums and movies. Good year. And we've got a year for next week. Is what are we doing? It's me. Must be. Yeah. yeah. It feels like it's been a while. Have you got, hmm. a, have you got a year? Then it must be you. Um, been a long time. Time been a long time. Been yeah, a long, lonely, 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 lonely. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Kind of want to go 80s again. I don't know why. There aren't many. I think What's it's the 83, one? 89. 83's up for grabs, isn't it? I think so, yeah. It, I mean, it ain't no 82, but it's all right. Yeah, let's go 83. 83. Mm. Yeah, it's my favourite decade, I think. Yeah. 80s. Oh, look, there's a, there's another great uh, uh, Beatles cover from 83. <laughs> oh, no. What's that? By Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. no, really? I'll stick to the kid. <laughs> oh, the gizzard. Everyone's had a, everyone's had a poke, haven't they? Hey, fellas, we're about to get kicked off. Okay. So, thank Love you, you very much. Good show. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks, and um, 83, look forward to it.
Okie dokie. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. As a matter of